You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Devings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 268 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me, as always, in the PTUK studios this week, it is my co-host, the awesome Matt Smith. <laughs> wow, what do you want? Nothing, you've had a hard <laughs> week, so I thought I'd give you a big intro. Oh, thank you. Mm, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information, but uh, no, thank you very much. You are a scholar and a gent, as always. So, Matt, how are you? How's uh, this week been coaching across the mean streets yes, of the UK? The mean streets of the UK. I, I, I actually left the county this week, which is slightly. You didn't go nervous. to Nev's side of the country. No, no, no. Oh, not that. All that, I, I don't know. Was I that far away from you? God, Nev? I hope I'm not. Trying to think. I don't think well, I was had that your far wheels off and everything. No, well, but, excuse, not where Nev lives. It's a very <laughs> nice part of the world. Thank you very much. No, I had the really. I, I went to Harry Potter World this week. Uh, anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> Another one of those boring films. Oh. Anyway, I don't yeah. Know. I so you went, you went there. Anywhere, just, anywhere? Did you go anywhere decent? This? Uh, yeah, movie? Harry Potter World. It was incredible. Yeah, oh my fantastic. goodness me, boys and girls! Seriously, if you ever get the chance to come to London, uh, it's in the there, Watford area. You desperately need to go. There's a voice. Shut keeps up. On calling. <laughs> the the, the, the they've the ju- done a new. Is it the Gringotts um, Bank? And they've done a new sort of like uh, one of the sound stages has been taken up by this. Anyway, the artwork and stuff that's all in there. That how they make the marble and stuff because it's about the how you make how they made the film, which is why I find it so fascinating obviously because there's lots of things but they've done like a I, I can only describe it as a, a 3D holographic projection that is so real I genuinely thought a dragon was flying at me uh, hmm. it's generally one of the most amazing things I've, I've ever seen what better than life. our green screen uh, oh very much better yes absolutely oh, okay. it was in high def for a start All right. uh, <laughs> but, uh, on the note of the green screen yeah. Matt where is this week's picture for Rom and who's it for Rom uh, right yes so this week's picture is from the American hangar in Duxford in honour of the fact that on Sunday <gasps> we're all off to Duxford uh, and the picture that is behind me he says if he presses this button here uh, he can do that there we are the picture that is behind us uh, was very kindly taken by Owen when we were there a few weeks back so uh, yeah absolutely uh, Armando you were saying actually you, you can you it doesn't seem to matter where you go in that hangar it is not possible to take a bad picture in that hangar yeah I think you could be the worst photographer in the world and stand anywhere on that that catwalk up there and you get an amazing picture that's worthy absolutely. of any yeah any green screen certainly yes (laughs) Paul Trick has actually said in the chat room that he dropped the wife and kids off at the Harry Potter world recently then he carried on down to the Royal Air Force Museum at Hendon instead of course he did well done Paul (laughs) well done anyway joining us this week as always Carlos sometimes you do have to be a little bit tolerant of other people's (laughs) enjoyment joining us this week oh shush Joining us this week, as always, he's we're three minutes in and we're already bickering like a married He's the man yeah. who puts the X in XLR. It's Neville Bounds. Good heavens, that was here I am. <laughs> yes, well done. I'm very impressed. What an intro! Yeah. What an intro that was. Absolutely. Are you on stage? Bit of information for you: um, the Harry Potter place that you went to. Oh yes. Uh, I used to visit there in about 1982 because it was the uh, Rolls Royce factory at Leavesden airport back ah, in the day I used to deliver oh, video gear and stuff there but, oh look, uh, at, look at this sudden, suddenly look he's 
pricked up a bit. Suddenly there's a baby. The word of aviation. <laughs> yeah. is like, hey. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, but, uh, there we go. So uh, yeah. but no, it's been a good, good week here. Very busy again. Lots of work stuff going on. Um, slightly bold today because I ordered my new car. <gasps> so that's what? Fi- that's going to be financially embarrassing for me later on. Right. Uh, okay. But, um, yes. Uh, but, uh, no, all good. And uh, of course, looking forward to this coming weekend, which we'll talk about later on. Yes, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Does, Miss, does Mrs. Nev know about the um, the purchase? Uh, no. Okay. Did you tell her you're buying a Skoda? I, I said I was going to pop out to buy some flowers. Okay. Okay. That's right. Fine. Okay. And she believed you after all this time. I, I'm slightly, I'm no. slightly, slightly impressed. Yeah. Very well done. Yes. So moving on to uh, our fourth <laughs> host on the show before Nev loses everything yeah, uh, move on absolutely. to the uh, fourth host of the show he's the man who puts the v in vfr it's armando seriously have you taken something what's Good. going on <laughs> this is this is new i'm going to start uh, wondering each week how you're going to introduce each one of us yeah i'm okay. going to carry wonder, on absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah happy happy to be here once again happy to make another week <laughs> As are we. In fact, actually, um, uh, we've got a very special video that uh, that you've sorted out for us. That, that is our military segment this week. Which, um, yeah. uh, Carlos, you were saying you were watching it. You're, you were yeah, sort of, for yeah. those of you guys and girls watching in the world of YouTube, we have got a incredible military mm. segment this week brought to us by Armando, and uh, it's a video, and it's all to do with uh, the guys at Nora or no- Noah or Noah. Isn't Noah. It? Noah. That's it. Yeah, and the P three, and they, and these guys, these guys, Matt, these guys fly into the heart of hurricanes right deliberately okay um your idea of actual hell heaven yes, absolutely yes, yes indeed yeah. although to be fair one of my friends who is genuinely a storm chaser he's off to the states at the end of the month um literally storm chasing oh, uh, would love absolutely love kill it. i dare say to be uh, to just well he's also a meteorologist so to just mm. get his hands on that data uh that that I, i'm sure the yeah. said machine uh, um records would i mean he'd go but he'd go nuts for it i reckon so that's anyway. coming up later on the show we've got loads of news to go through this week and just to say a hello to everyone who's joined us in the live youtube chat room it's the 10th of may just coming up to five past seven in the evening hello to uh Graham Haley, uh, we've got Chris Griggs, uh, Auntie Liz is in the chat room, Mash is in the chat room, Richard Adams is in the chat room, uh, Paul Tricker, hello to you, Paul. Uh, who else have we got? Neil Lamorne, hello to you, Neil. We have got Lara Megan Carrion in the Never chat room. Never heard of her. And we've also got uh, John Jester, hello to you, John Jester. We've got uh, James Candraw as well, is in the chat room this week. Uh, I hope I haven't missed anyone else. There's a few names, loads of names in the chat this week. Join Owen's just joined show. us as well. And hello yeah. to you, Owen. Hi, thanks for the picture, Owen. Well yeah, done. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And Andy Wilson has just ah. popped in the chat room as well. As hello Brace to you, yourselves, Andy. everyone. It's about to be a rough. Mm. It's about to get very rough. So before yeah. we start the show with the news, we have got some housework to do, as it is uh, the time of the month where we say thanks to our Patreon. So Nev, over to you. Yes, it's time for the dirty music. Uh, that means it's uh, our thanks to the Patreon donors, which uh, this month are Adam Spink, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Eric Graves, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Jacob Darlington Brown, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Liz Piper, Masha, Matt Caton, Matt Donemeyer, Matthew Bunting Frame. 
Myla, Owen, uh, Neil Lamorne, Nicholas Hewitt, Nico, uh, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, Ryan Harper, Stuart Backer, Stephanie Plummer, Steve Andress, Stuart Black, and Jenny Parkinson. Thank you one and all for your fantastic contributions because without you, we could not be doing this show. So uh, thanks very much once again. Yes, if you want to uh, find out how you can donate to the show, take yourselves over to the website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. There's a, a uh, donate button on there. You can donate through PayPal or Patreon. It all helps to fund the show because we have got lots of projects uh, in the uh, in the kind of the oven for this year with various air shows coming up uh, this year, including Riyadh later on in July. And we've also got uh, Dubai at the end of the year. And we've got some other air shows, Big and Hill coming up as well later on in the year, which we'll be going to, which will be fun. Uh, plus some other bits and pieces in between that we'll be covering uh, for your viewing pleasure this year. So uh, thanks to everyone who's donated. So we are going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you are ready, Matt. I am, yes. Yeah, Nev? Yeah, yeah. Yes, surprisingly. Armando. Ready to go. Let's do it. So, kicking off this week's first news story on the abcnews.go.com website. And this one is regarding the Russian aircraft that crashed uh, early this week. And uh, a transcript of the communications between air traffic controllers and the pilots of a Russian airliner that made a deadly crash landing at Moscow Airport has appeared in the Russian media. The transcript shows the pilot, Denis Yvodokimov, oh, blimey, declaring an emergency and requesting to turn back, but does not indicate he considered the situation aboard to be critical before making the landing that went disastrously uh, awry, leaving the passenger jet engulfed in flames. It adds to the picture of the disaster that killed 41 people on Sunday, as investigators are reportedly increasingly focused on pilot error as the primary cause of the crash. Russia's Aviation Authority confirmed Wednesday the transcript, which was published by the Russian channel Ren TV, is authentic. Aeroflot, uh, the air jet itself, the Sukhoi Superjet 100, took off with 78 people on board for the northern city of Mamanx, but less than 30 minutes later ran into difficulty. In the transcript, the pilot issues a distress call to controllers at the Sheremetyevo airport, telling them the aircraft had been struck by lightning and lost radio communication. Uh, the pilot declared a pan, 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 requesting return and uh, lost radio contact, and the plane is burning, he says, in lightning, the pilot told controllers, using an emergency signal. Despite using the word burning, it does not appear the plane was on fire yet, and the pilot's other communications suggested neither he nor the controllers believed the plane was in imminent danger. The pan signal is used, to, as we all know, to indicate an urgent situation on board, but one which does not pose an immediate threat to life or the aircraft. Communications were perhaps hampered uh, because the two were speaking over an emergency system that only allowed short bursts of messages according to Russian media reports. Asked by the controllers what the emergency on board was, the pilot said he'd, that he'd lost radio and the plane's automatic flight controls, but asked if the plane would require help on landing. The pilot told the controller no and seemed to say that he would be able to land as normal. 
So uh, the two remained in contact with the ground controller giving directions and the pilot said he would make a landing using the plane's instrument landing system, or ILS, not a visual landing. Instead of touching down smoothly though, the aircraft slammed into the ground too hard, buckling its landing gear and causing the fuselage to bounce up off the tarmac before slamming down again, bursting its fuel tanks and setting the aircraft on fire. Russian investigators have publicly said that they are considering various theories of the accident, including mistakes by the pilots and ground teams, bad weather, and or technical malfunction. But on Tuesday, the well-sourced newspaper Commerçant reported investigators' primary theory is that the pilots made a series of mistakes. According to the newspaper, which cited sources close to the investigation, investigators believe the pilots' first mistake was entering the bad weather. After that, the investigators reportedly alleged the pilots hurriedly sought to land immediately instead of burning off fuel. As a result, the aircraft hit the runway with fuel, full fuel tanks and overweight, causing the bounce. Finally, they accused the pilot of mishandling that, making the plane bounce again. Now, the story goes on a little bit, but uh, we obviously said the video has been uh, on, well, all the social media sites plus the news sites. There's probably three or four different videos, various camera angles, plus one that uh, shows the uh, someone filming inside mm. the aircraft whilst uh, it was on fire outside, which is quite a distressing video to see, uh, see I will say. Yeah. But um, we were chatting between ourselves during the week on this, and uh, we kind of had a few ideas running around, but I think in the end, guys, I think we all sort of agreed that it was probably down to uh, to pilot error. What do you reckon, Armando? Well, yeah. So there's a there's a couple questions that I had with this with this particular incident. The initial reports were it got struck by lightning, and then there's some of the passenger reports that say it got, it got struck by lightning. So he was having a radio problem, yet he ch still chose to use the ILS. Now, of course, if he's flying in a storm. Um, probably it was impractical to try to make a visual approach back in. And so, so were the radios working? Were they working well enough to do an ILS? But then my personal question is if he had enough time to brief that up and, and maybe not brief that up, but to plan an ILS, well, why didn't, why, why did they not either dump fuel or burn fuel uh, before coming in? Which I think is, is a good, uh, uh, I don't know, it's probably a good suspect cause for that pretty serious bounce that the aircraft took. Uh, so if you're trying to land an airliner well over its max landing weight, uh, well, you know you're going to cause some damage already, but but that may have contributed to that bounce and then sort of an inappropriate recovery from that bounce uh, may have led to that, that undercarriage uh, collapsing. But then that, there was another part on this, the the passengers this is what john was telling me beforehand uh that some of the videos that that surfaced from this were people taking their time they were going out of the aircraft with their luggage while uh, the back end of the really? airplane is burning yeah. and really uh, yeah right and in this case it you know it was a tragic tragic outcome because most of the casualties were in the back of the airplane where you can see from the pictures that it was burning yet people in the front were getting their luggage out of the overhead bins i mean it was it was an out and out fireball wasn't it i mean there's there's no two ways about it the back of the air, airplane because of the ignition of the you know rupturing fuel line or fuel tank we're not really mm. sure but it was essentially a massive sort of fireball i mean it, it's just I, I, what what disturbs me about 
all of this. Uh, I mean, so many things are, are just. I mean, this is this is. Awful there was one happening. guy carrying two carry-ons. But this is what <laughs> this is what's getting me. So it's pretty obvious that the back of the plane is in serious trouble, mm. and people are still worrying about their suitcases. What is wrong with people? Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's that's definitely a concern in, in this, and and. You know, we continue to see it happen over and over where people are evacuating an airplane and they're stopping to get their luggage out of it. I mean, I mean, Nev, what, what I mean, I'm a bit lost for words, to be honest with you. I mean, do you, do you think something like this is um, you get you get a serious scenario like this? Do you think this will help maybe make people focus their minds about leaving their damn luggage behind in an incident like this? I mean, is some of it because actually there have been a few instances where where airplanes have ended up on the ground. Everybody's got off safely. It's all been fine. Do you think it's almost that don't think it's going to happen to us type scenario? It might be. This is 2019, though, isn't it? We've done all this way back in 1985. You might remember the British Air Tours mm. 737-200 incident yeah. on, at uh, Manchester on a rejected takeoff. And um, there was a tragic loss of life because people were not able to get out of the aircraft. Now, that was down to many factors, uh, including seat pitch and all sorts of things. But I would have thought by now that... Uh, we would have learned to, uh, if there is an evacuation, you get yourself and your children off the plane. That's all that matters. Yeah. Everything else is replaceable. And the trouble is, I think that um, with these sort of situations, let's be honest, these are extremely rare events. Yeah. Um, and uh, we all don't expect it to happen to us. I think um, the flight crew have got uh, some questions to answer about the speed at which they, they uh, landed the aircraft at uh, and the way they landed it. But that's a, that's a whole another story as part of the investigation. But definitely um, people trying to pick up luggage uh, will have uh, hampered the evacuation. No question about it. I mean, th as I say, th this is not an isolated. All right, this particular incident, obviously, with the with you know the the tragic end, is a is a a very unusual event. But people, in the event of having to evacuate an aeroplane, taking their luggage with them is not an isolated incident. I mean, how do we get this message through? To the, the only way Joe you're stop it, the only, I mean, the only I, way you stop it is to, to, to stop hand luggage I th inside I think the, the cabin. Yeah. So I think I think mm. the only thing that I'm, you know, this is kind of on the other side of the argument is um, people that are in the middle, either have just suffered a traumatic event or are in the middle or in the course of a traumatic event. Um, this is something where you, you know, you, when you think about uh, vehicle crashes, when you think about uh, air, airplane crashes that have happened and they find people wandering in the woods, you know, like zombies. Uh, they, now I, I guess I will, I will say that not having ever been through a plane crash, uh, you sort of revert despite what you may have seen in the, uh, pre-flight safety brief, you, you sort of revert to what you know how to do and what you may have done a dozen times before. So in the middle of an aircraft, crash and the back end is on fire you're it is possible that your mind may be so traumatized that your your body's sort of shutting down and, and all logic is going out the window and you're just thinking oh i'm gonna do the thing i'm gonna know what i i'm gonna do what i always do which is get up grab my bag and go out one of the doors oh wait there's a slide instead of a stairway okay i'll slide down the slide so 
I, I don't know. This, this is a great, you know, and I may look into this for next week and, and see what the psychology is behind yeah. a traumatic event like this. But I, I don't think it's entirely negligence. And obviously it's negligent, but, but I, you know I, what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm just sort of, I guess where, where I'm thinking is, is like, you'd sort of think almost that the survival instinct would kick in overall else you know we 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 do tend to have an in from you know when when you do watch certain programs and things that are out out on the U, in the uk uh, especially you you know they do programs about survival and all that kind of thing you sort of you sort mm. of must assume that the getting well, away from the bernie planey thing would be yes. the first thing I, that you wanted to do i do slightly agree with armando here in that um most people in their lives have not been through big uh, traumatic situations. Yeah. I can only think of two occasions where it's happened to me, either in a car crash or, uh, in fact, a situation that happened at home with uh, one of our animals just a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I find, found myself doing things which were entirely abnormal. And had I not had the big adrenaline rush and all the rest of it, I would have acted differently, I think. And it's interesting to note how people react in these situations. And there's no question in my mind that um, people react differently. Uh, don't forget, none of them have been trained for all this at all, but the flight crew have been trained for hours and days and weeks about how to evacuate an aircraft. The average passenger has not. And therefore, um, when there's a big adrenaline rush, when there's uh, an abnormal situation going on, you don't really know how people are going to react and it is quite surprising how people do so i think it'll be interesting um well maybe amado can have that, that bit of research actually it'll be interesting to see yeah. what, uh, yeah, what, what the story is there yeah yeah I, no i i completely agree i i i i do i just i i, I guess i just always assume that in that scenario my instinct would be to drop and run do you know what i mean to to get at to to just get out by whatever means necessary i'd like to think the last thing that would ever cross my mind would be my tablet or you know the three yeah. pairs of I was pants say, a lot, of, lot of people like might say oh, i don't want to leave my camera and my dslr and there and my laptop but hey that's what insurance is for you know? well, yeah exactly but uh, yeah, yeah as i suppose as you know Armando neil has a great example in the in the chat room so he he says he he came off his motorcycle once and uh he bit through his lip and still went back to the office to drop his bag off covered in blood. Um, wow. You know, weird when, when he thinks back on it. So. Yeah. Again, actually, Masher is saying in, in the chat room here, uh, survival instinct in humans is pretty bad. Some people just freeze completely and, and not even move, which, mm. is, which is very true. I think um, we'll sum up this story of what Richard Adams has said in the chat room and um, agreed by Owen, actually, and he says that cattle prods should be uh, a necessary requirement for cabin crew. I'm not sure that would help with the uh, bag scenario, though, which is mm. what, uh, which is what <laughs> that's the most sort of shocking thing about this story. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> I like how you done that one. The, the last thing that I'll add is the, you know, I was fortunate enough to go through American Airlines emergency egress training, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that, in Dallas, and the commands from the cabin crew are, are, are designed to be loud and simple. Uh, you know, so when you're talking about w once the emergency lights come on, you're, you're just sort of yelling at the top of, of your lungs and mm. all, all of the cabin crew is yelling the exact same thing, going, release your seatbelts, come this way, release your seatbelts, come this way. You know, you and you stop at the, uh, stop at the bottom and help people yeah. off. 
or something like that. And maybe they can just add into the emergency egress training, you know, release your seat belts, leave your bags, come this way. But then you start getting into. Yeah, it's, it's, it's lots of information for people to take in. A couple more points in the chat room, if I may. John Jester is saying this is a generation uh, that people cross the fence to take a picture next to the bars with a big cat on the other side and are then surprised when the cat grabs them, which mm. is another good point. Liz says, or fall into the Grand Canyon trying to get the perfect <laughs> Very selfie. Very true, Liz. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, no. this, this, I dare say, sadly, this is a story that we will cover again, again. at some point. Yes, I'm sure um, we will. But obviously, our condolences go to everyone yeah. that, uh, that is that if if you if you know someone or are involved in this this awful tragedy i mean fortunately these things are very rare, rare. um but uh, yeah i just like just please guys just leave the leave damn it. luggage behind <laughs> so moving on to the next story bit of a bit more of an upbeat story well i i use the word beat um <clears throat> In a, in a punchy sort of fashion. But anyway, carry on. Right, okay. I uh, wasn't sure where you were going with that. The EuroweeklyNews.com is the website, and the headline is Plain Silly Ryanair Aircraft Diverted Due to Unruly Customer on Malaga <laughs> Flights. So Ryanair, the airline leader in passenger transport numbers by flight in Malaga, reported an incident on a flight involving a passenger travelling to Dusseldorf from Malaga yesterday, which was Monday. Uh, just gone. Uh, as reported by the company, the flight had to be diverted towards the airport of Santander due to the disruptive uh, behaviour of the man during the flight. No further details were provided by the airline regarding the event. The plane landed normally and the police arrested the alleged suspects before the flight took off again for Dusseldorf. At no time will we tolerate inappropriate or conflicting behaviour. The safety and comfort of our passengers and crew our top priority this matter is now in the hands of local police uh, the state agency for the air safety have forwarded that uh, involvement in threatening the safety of passengers and crew can cost up to five thousand euros in fines the number of problem passengers at spanish airports was 441 in 2016 and 538 in 2017 last year alone the AESA that's the Spain's air Spain's air safety agency uh, had fined 326 people for a total amount of 22 sorry 221,325 euros mm. by nationality the United Kingdom has the highest number of sanctioned passengers there's a shock 196 followed by Spain with 53 uh, Germany with 19 Ireland with 15 France with 11 Poland in uh, with 9 Belgium and Romania with just 3 between them and uh, the Netherlands, Sweden and Switzerland with two and Finland, Greece, Norway and Russia with only one. The agency is collaborating with the authorities of uh, other countries and participates in the working group of disruptive passengers of European Aviation Safety Agency uh, to identify and develop new strategies that can minimise the frequency of these occurrences. I still say, um, I still genuinely say that like we I think I've mentioned it before haven't I where in the UK here certainly in Suffolk we have something called a pub watch ban and here in the UK uh, or certainly as I say in Suffolk if there is an incident um, that involves not necessarily your own pub but in a one it's like a ban from one banned from all situation and uh, I think the only way you really will get your 
get a you know a handle on this bearing in mind you need a passport obviously to be able to uh, to do that i think you know if you've um done done something wrong i i would argue that you um sort of almost forfeit your right uh, your human rights in some respect uh, to privacy and that those details should be shared with the other agency so that when your passport essentially so that your passport becomes flagged Mm. Uh, if you then try and you know I, I think that's the only way you're going to stop these idiots from disrupting other people you know yeah, Armando doesn't, doesn't get anything like this in the US you see because it's all tickety-boo in the US well no it's because if you, if you do anything <laughs> wrong they'll shoot you in the, yeah. in the US that's the trouble yeah. <laughs> we do have the ability for air crew to be armed over here so yes absolutely the air, the air marshal scheme yeah now you can arm pilots too so, can you that's yeah. a frightening thought. Yes. One thing you don't need on a BA flight, eh, Nev? Oh, no. Well, uh, glad you mentioned that because uh, we go over to the express.co.uk website. Oh, mm. uh, <laughs> Where we get, as you know, all of our av aviation information. Uh, and there's a bit of video here as well. It says, um, shocking moment, BA plane rocked by severe turbulence, 14 passengers hospitalised. A British Airways flight was hit by severe turbulence. Uh, the BA flight from London to Florida resulted in 14 passengers being taken to hospital after turbulence rocked the cabin. Shocking scenes were captured in a viral video of the incident. Uh, well, this aircraft was battered by extreme turbulence, it says, and the episode was caught on camera in an alarming viral video. According to a passenger on board, the plane dropped suddenly without warning during the frightening incident. The footage from the transatlantic flight showed belongings strewn all over the aisle of the plane after being hurled about from the force of the turbulence. Pillows, magazines, handbags and suitcases can be seen scattered up and down the floor. Panic passengers appeared to be looking around in alarm as flyer Ollie Richmond filmed the aircraft. Were they alarmed by the fact that he was filming? Perhaps? Possibly, yes. Uh, but um, <laughs> the, the video also shows an air vent which seems to have come loose after the turbulent truck. Um, well, Richmond wrote on social media where he shared the clip, crazy scenes on the BA2166 London Gatwick to Tampa today. Plane dropped suddenly without warning. Loads of people hitting the ceiling. Could I make a suggestion? If you're sitting uh, down, could you put your seatbelt on and therefore this will not happen? If you're standing up, then fair enough. But if you're sitting down, put your seatbelt on. Um, it says uh, it was something... Uh, like out of a film, lots of people sent to hospital. Well done, staff, imagine managing the situation well. A fellow passenger on the flight can be heard saying in the footage, I've never seen someone come out of their seats like that, oh, <laughs> indicating that they were not wearing their seatbelt. Uh, the airline said in the statement, safety is always our number one priority, and our cabin crew did everything they could to look after our customers after experiencing unexpected severe turbulence. Uh, they asked paramedics to meet the aircraft and some customers were examined by medical staff as a precaution. Turbulence is graded on a scale of severity, light, moderate, severe and extreme. Extreme is rare, but still not dangerous, although the plane will subsequently be examined by a maintenance uh, member of staff. Uh, the, a pilot has previously revealed to express.co.uk that turbulence should, in fact, never concern flyers. Uh, in all honesty, passengers should never worry about turbulence, he said. Uh, the aircraft is designed to take the stress and strain of turbulence. 
For example, it's like designing a car with good enough suspension to drive over a rough surface with potholes. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> so the story goes on. But uh, as we always say, ladies and gentlemen, do keep your seatbelt uh, on if you're in hmm. your seat because it will save you from injury. Indeed. Uh, Nev, actually, Lee Hall has a, a very uh, good point here, which I think you of all people will appreciate. He says, the most frightening thing about that video is the fact that the camera was in portrait rather than landscape. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> but actually, the Express, Express have run, run one of their little surveys on this story. Oh, no. And I've just seen here that uh, the, they've put this survey where you click on yes or no. The question being, have you ever experienced a bad turbulence on a flight? 60% said yes, 40% said no. Right, okay. Uh, yes, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> I have, only once, but only, only okay. the once. Only the one time. I mean, I, I mean, I've experienced turbulence. I mean, nothing so violent that... that uh, but you'd have your seatbelt on, so that would be okay. Yeah, it, it, it literally never comes off when I'm at There we go. <laughs> but that's because I'm well done. a worse. Uh, indeed, but uh, there we are, all part of the fun. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, Armando, and um, yeah, this is good news for people who want to go to Las Vegas. It is good news. I feel like this is one week we do an airline that's uh, suffering, and then the next week we do an airline that's expanding its network. So this one is from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, states that travelers this fall will again have the option to fly directly between Las Vegas and Paris. Level, International Airlines Group long-haul, low-cost carrier, will start nonstop service on October 30th, offering two flights weekly. Flights went on sale Tuesday and start as low as $99, one way. In September, Level will bring a third Airbus A330-200 uh, aircraft onto its fleet, allowing the new direct route to Las Vegas flying out of Paris Orly Airport. The aircraft are equipped with 293 economy and 21 premium economy seats. The uh, Vincent Hutter, the level CEO says, we're delighted to add Las Vegas to our level network, offering nonstop flights to Paris. Level is a new concept that offers customers something unique and different, allowing them to access exciting destinations and providing them with control over the way they travel at every touch point. Customers will also be able to fly to other parts of Europe through connecting flights from Paris or the airport with our partner airline, Vueling. This marks the second time an airline has launched nonstop flight service between McCarran International Airport in Paris. XL Airways offered seasonal nonstop service uh, running between 2010 and 2014. This one is exciting because it's scheduled and not seasonal or a charter, which XL was, said the, the Clark County Aviation Director. We're really excited to have that nonstop from uh, from Paris because we know we're going to have that demand from Paris. It used to take one or two, one or two stops to get here, so we're really looking forward to welcoming them. Uh, let's see, checked luggage plus a free cabin bag, meals, seat selection, and latest movie releases will all be complimentary for customers flying in the premium cabin. Uh, economy class travelers can choose their amenities selectively, purchasing them from a menu of choices. Flights will include onboard entertainment options and super high-speed internet connectivity, curious to what that means, with prices starting at $11.74, according to the airline. The Paris nonstop flight is the latest international nonstop between uh, McCarran and other cities, as new direct flights to Israel, Amsterdam, and Mexico are slated to start in June, with service to Japan, 
possible at a later date pending the U.S. Department of Transportation approval. So there you go. And I had to actually look up level airlines and see where they flew. And it seems like they have a pretty expansive network just uh, all over the world to Europe and South America and the U.S. Is this, uh, is this an airline you've heard of before, Carlos? Level. I think we covered those in the story um, last year, actually, Level. But I was quite surprised, actually, with the, air, the, uh, the 330 they're using only having 21 premium economy seats. Mm. I mean, many. so... I mean, it's Las Vegas to Paris is a, is a, a very cool thing because I suppose you could argue from our point of view, would that be cheaper for us to go to Paris and then Paris on to Las Vegas maybe? Yeah. Do it as a sort of... Uh, it might know. be cheap. What about for you, Armando? It might be cheap for you to go from yours to Las yeah. Vegas, Las Vegas to Paris. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually looking at that where it, it would be because I have Southwest Airlines here in this area. So I could fly to from Raleigh-Durham to Las Vegas for maybe $129 and then jump on a level flight over to Paris. So and probably make the whole trip for under 500 bucks round trip. There Which we go. crazy really, isn't it? I mean, Megan's sitting there now rubbing her hands together. Silly man, yeah. money. <laughs> She's not listening. That is a long way west to go to go back to Paris. So I don't know. We'll see. Well, yeah, but if it's cheaper, I mean, yes. I, was a, you know. I was a big fan of Norwegian. You know, it's, it's, mm. Uh, every time I hear a, a negative story or that they're struggling, I'm, uh, it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because both Megan and I flew Norwegian a couple of times and, mm. and we were real big fans of it. Mm. Yeah, this is it. I, do, you think, do you think the uh, transatlantic model will ever be successful, though? I mean, this is... The low-cost transatlantic model. Yeah, the yeah. low-cost transatlantic sort of... I mean, do you oh, think I, there's, there's a... I mean, there's, de there's, there's no two ways about it. There is definitely a market for it. Oh, yeah. None, none of the airlines seem to be able to... I mean, you, as you say, you had uh, Premier that obviously went under, and that was the set, that was literally what they did, didn't they? They used to do... Was it, was it Gatwick to... Mm. Was it Primera, Gatwick? yeah. yeah. Primera, Prim Prim yeah. Primera, yeah. Gatwick. Week to um, to New York, wasn't it? New York, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Nev, do, I mean, do you think? What do you think the answer is here? I mean, because it would be great to be able to. I mean, you you think what what Ryanair, uh, which I use as an example. I mean, obviously EasyJet as well. You think what they've done to to flying in general. The short. Uh, I mean, many yeah. would argue perhaps that they are directly responsible for ruining air travel as, as <laughs> we know it. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it has, as I've said before, it has made it uh, you know affordable to the likes of me. I mean, if it wasn't for people like Ryanair and EasyJet, I, I you know I'd have probably been on one plane my entire life you know it's uh yes do, do, do you think well, they can ever make it work it, well it's difficult isn't it because both Ryanair and EasyJet uh, run sectors within Europe which are generally speaking sub five hours uh, in length um and that's okay for the most part and it's um, it's what you get on the longer sector stuff though um uh, all the airlines usually say the only part of the cabin they make money in is the business class and first class sectors, uh, sorry, sections of the aircraft. So running inexpensive um, seats to and from, you know, across the pond from the uh, UK to the North Atlantic or, um, you know, Northern Europe to the North Atlantic is um, it's still a difficult model. I think Freddie Laker, got very close Ooh, to it yeah. virgin certainly have had uh, in, uh, you know moments mm. in, in the early days but um doing these sectors now it's very very competitive and it's uh, it's difficult to and we can also think of other airlines so well, i think there's one or two airlines that you know have done some business class only um uh, sectors to and from uh, the u.s 
uh, which have failed. It's a very difficult model and you've got to, you know, you have to fill every single aircraft um, and of course yeah. the ticket price has to be sensible, uh, but it's still going to be profitable for the airlines to operate it. Yeah. Very true. This is very true, yes. So the next story is on the time.com website and uh, we probably all saw this as well in the news. It's been a bit of a funny week really this week for aviation, but uh, the headline airline offers two and a half thousand dollars to passengers on plane that skidded into Florida River. So the operator of a chartered jet that ran into a river at a Florida military base is offering two and a half thousand dollars to each passenger as a goodwill gesture. Miami Air International made the offer to the 136 passengers on Monday in an open letter from the airline's CEO expressing regret for what had happened. None of the passengers nor the seven crew members had serious injuries from the flight which departed Guantanamo Bay, uh, Cuba on Friday and skidded into the St. John's River hours later after landing at Naval Air Station Jacksonville. The airline says that passengers' luggage, which was still on the aircraft in the cargo hold of the aircraft, which was partially submerged in the river, uh, is uh, still there. But uh, the airline says that uh, once federal investigators give the green light, the airline workers will retrieve the bags and clean them. Oh, that's very kind of them. Mm. And notify all their owners. Now, I did see a story um, earlier this week as well, after this one uh, came online, where they, uh, a company had recovered the aircraft onto a floating barge. And they were then uh, removing the aircraft from its uh, from its sort of where, resting where place out, where yeah. it rested. Yeah, but uh, two and a half grand. You know, they, n no one was injured. You know, it skidded off the end of the runway. Where where did this happen? Uh, this was uh, Armando, probably the best place. It, it to, was um, Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. Okay. So the USA. Yeah. 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 Two and a half thousand dollars will not be enough. Really? <laughs> <laughs> because because oh. everybody will be suing for as much money as they possibly can. So, uh, so, so this is going to be an interesting one because I'm not sure that they can sue. This was a chartered flight for the government. Yeah. Uh, oh. From Guantanamo Bay to Jacksonville. So most of oh. the passengers, and I don't, you know, not not seeing a passenger list, but I would assume that most of the passengers were either government employees or families mm. of government employees. And uh, so I'm not entirely sure that they can actually sue the airline when it's a government contracted flight. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Oh. That is that is an interesting take. Yeah. I, wow. Um, yeah. And I had to look up Miami Air and they, they have six, well, five, did have. Uh, <laughs> 737-800s. And they've been around since 1990 flying 727s. Right. Wow. Uh, they, they do contract a carriage for Fortune 500 companies, uh, sports teams, incentive groups, major cruise lines, entertainers, political candidates. So it seems to be how they wow. make their money. And if we talk about airline liveries quickly, that I think when I looked at the picture of their um, on their aircraft, they they must have one of the most boring liveries <laughs> I think of any airline. Oh, I don't know. I, I think I think United's new livery will give them a bit of rough for the money. Well. Let's be honest. But uh, anyway, on to mm. the next story. Uh, SmarterTravel.com uh, is the website, and the headline is: This is the worst airline for <gasps> lost 
luggage. Uh, for the for the seven-year period of 2012 through to 2018, airlines lost or damaged an average of three check bags per every 1,000 air passengers, according to Department of Transport data. A new report from Luggage Hero, based on the DOT data, found that some of uh, the, some of the airlines do a worse job than average. However, with uh, mishandled or lost luggage rates uh, that are double the average. Oh wow, that's not good. Delta fared best with only 1.55 checked bags mishandled per 1,000 passengers, and the small carrier uh, Envoy Air, owned by American Airlines, was dubbed the worst with 6.76 mishandled bags per 1,000 passengers, which is more. More than four times the lost luggage Delta saw. Here's how other big carriers ranked for damaged or lost luggage. Four small lines fared well. Uh, Frontier, Spirit, Hawaiian and JetBlue were clustered closely just behind Delta at around about two bags mishandled per 1,000 passengers. United and Alaska clustered at around three pieces of lost luggage per 1,000 passengers. Southwest and American are the bottom of the big lines at 3.5 to 4.5 bags per 1,000 people. Uh, the regional lines that feed bigger lines at major hubs express jet skywest and envoy all clustered at the very bottom of the performance numbers mishandling six or more bags per 1000 passengers now in defense of the smaller carriers do you think some of this is perhaps because they are doing the short hops and therefore they're perhaps getting lost in transit from that aircraft say to the american airliner that it's feeding i mean do you think it's more because that luggage is being interfered with more therefore it's got more chance of going missing jen niffer just says she's in the chat room hello to you jen uh says at uh, her airport the same people handle the baggage for the regionals as the main lines right, okay. so it uh, makes you wonder mm. no that's yeah. true yeah i'm not i'm not entirely sure what what the root cause to this would be the um i mean really on the mainline carriers there's only a few airplanes that would have the baggage containerized um, mm. I think most of the the short haul stuff, even on mainline, is is just bags in the compartment being mm. put there uh, individually. So I'm I'm not entirely sure. It, it's uh, it's an interesting yeah, graph, I, though. I will say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes where they park the regional airlines, it is a bit of a haul from yeah. from there. When I when I worked at Dulles Airport, for anybody that remembers the the old Dulles Airport, um, you're not saying it right. It's dull. <laughs> airport. It, hey, it was top of the line in 1965. Okay, uh, my apologies. <laughs> I take it all back. <laughs> in, Independence Air, or not Independence, it became Independence. But uh, I worked for Atlantic Coast Airlines, and we were we were like three terminals over from Mainland United. And uh, at the time, you know, you you had a couple high speed tugs, and that was the the job to get because if you had bags that were making a, a quick turn, the, the guy with the high speed tug was allowed to push the the speed limit and go just well across the airport uh, <laughs> at max speed for that Harlan tug. <laughs> now, uh, 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 Nev, you know, I'm pretty sure you'll have worked out what question I'm about to ask you. Um, have you have you lost had log? I mean, you do more flying than the rest of us. Have you have you lost luggage? 
Only once. I've never actually, actually had it lost, just uh, mishandled or mislaid. Right. Uh, so it's arrived a couple of days later. But if you're on a short sector into Europe somewhere, it's pretty inconvenient because yes. you're going to be, by the time it catches up with you, you've already moved on somewhere else. Or it's time to uh, home, but, come home again. Yes, absolutely. Well, I did. Uh, I think it was Iberia once. Uh, lost my luggage on a sector from Heathrow to Madrid. Um, but uh, it was no problem for them because th they gave me some spare clothes. Well, their idea of spare clothes <laughs> was a very fetching thin uh, top which uh, wouldn't really fit and and some shorts uh, which was slightly uh, awkward I can tell you, see, uh, you see, wearing no, those uh, in the hotel bar when did it have HMP on the back do you know Nev I, I can't see you in shorts I've got to be honest no. <laughs> I'm well, sure you have that. fabulous legs I'm not I'm not going to take that uh, away uh, from no, you no but... one's ever said that no no, 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 no. Okay. no. it's just yeah. you don't strike me as a short man so as you know <laughs> oh Nev um, oh, I don't know how to quite go on with this uh, uh, next story, Nev, um, is uh, is uh, is one for you, and it's a, it's a, an incredibly environmental story. It is. It's on the news18.com website, and it says that Qantas has embarked on a Herculean mission to cut uh, 100 million uh, plastic items which contribute to non-biodegradable waste generated from planes each year to pave the way for more eco-friendly flights. Qantas has conducted a trial of the first ever zero garbage flight. At present, the total waste generated by the airlines is equivalent to 80 full Boeing for, uh, 747 jumbos. Uh, naturally, the need of the hour is to come up with ways of reducing landfill waste. The amount of waste generated each day is staggering and steps are accordingly being taken by Qantas to eliminate waste and consequently improve their environmental footprint. Uh, on Wednesday of this week, passengers on the flight from Sydney to Adelaide were in for a pleasant surprise. Uh, they were served food in packaging made entirely from biodegradable materials like crop starch, sugarcane, etc. The formula is simple. Once used, these biodegradable items will be converted to compost and will be then used as manure in gardens around the country. Uh, Qantas also has a policy in place for any non-biodegradable waste like plastic bottles. Any such plastic waste will be recycled. But more importantly, the airline will not be charging their customers for this switch to biodegradable items. Yeah, Spoke they to people are. From Yes, I'm sure they were. A spokespeople from uh, Qantas <laughs> said that in, uh, this is an investment they're prepared to make and that customers will not be charged extra as this, as this will be beneficial in the long run. In fact, a lot of people praised uh, Qantas on social media while some applauded their efforts. Some stated that others must, must, must also follow the example. Uh, according to the Sydney Mor Morning Herald, the passengers had not been notified prior to boarding the flight. As Andre Davis, CEO of Qantas, said, this marks a significant day for aviation and it can only be hoped that other airlines will follow suit. It's quite a big thing, actually. If you think about of, um, uh, waste and, and rubbish and garbage, what have you, uh, at the end of a flight, uh, especially on a, a long sector, yeah. uh, it's uh, quite significant. Isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm, I may have mentioned this before, but at, um, several years ago, uh, mum obviously does lots of catering and things she still does a bit now bless her uh, and I, I remember sort of if you go back um, sort of say five or six years we used to do something here in the UK called the Cambridge Folk Festival 
and we used to do um we, you had to do sort of slightly off the wall things if you couldn't just be a burger van essentially at an event like that because it was actually a, a county council so it was actually run by cambridge city council sorry um for for that so you had to do slightly off the wall uh foods and we did like bangers and mash we used to do a, a pie and mash with um uh, parsley liquor and bangers and mash and, and, and stuff like that and one of the stipulations that Cambridge Council insisted on were these very containers that you're talking about in this mm. story with Qantas and I have to say there is nothing wrong with them at all they are as strong if not stronger uh, in my experience certainly than the polystyrene you know ones that we're so used to if you get like a a, a tray of tri chips or whatever at a, a, you know on the market and stuff i mean and yet they they're really good. they're quite hard you know there's you know they 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 really are re uh, good and of course it's all stuff that will easily break down and just become part of the earth as and as and when you've obviously something has tickled you in the no, chat just, room obviously just reading what armando's putting in the uh, chat room oh is he oh right Okay. I know what you're saying, Armando. I too have that same collection at home of aviation yeah. blankets and um and um you know British Caledonian cutlery. For the audio version of the podcast, anybody that's not watching the chat room, I just said if you want to reduce the amount of waste that you know from an airliner, you put my mother on an airplane because she'll take everything off. <laughs> Since we still have a collection of Eastern Airlines, TWAs. Right. Okay, things. very good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> bunch of blankets and maybe some other things that were supposed to stay on the airplane. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's good. I, it's uh, I, I suppose a lot a lot of it is those because the you know it's only recently that the technology has existed to be able to produce these alternative containers, uh, perhaps in defence of these airlines. I mean, if these these sort of you know ve vegetable based. Um, products were available sort of you know 10 years ago perhaps then perhaps people would be you know more familiar with them than they are now mm. oh good on Qantas anyway yeah well absolutely done. yeah well done so moving on to the next story Armando. yeah this is from flightglobal.com uh, I apologize in advance if I offend anybody with my terrible Burmese or Bengali but a Biman Bangladesh Airlines Bombardier Q400 Turboprop overran the runway at Myanmar's Yangon International Airport while landing during heavy rain on the evening of 8 May, according to that airport. No casualties have been reported among the 30 passengers and six crew above the, uh, aboard the aircraft, which has serial number 4367, according to the airport and Bombardier. All passengers and crew immediately received proper treatment, transportation, and support, says the airport. There were no casualties thus far, and the situation is under control. The aircraft was operating Biman Flight 60 from Dhaka, Bangladesh, to Yangon at the time of the incident. The Q400 skidded and overran the runway at 18.51 local time during a landing attempt amidst heavy rain and poor visibility. A photograph released by the Myanmar Times shows the Q400 resting on its belly with substantial damage. The aircraft's fuselage near the tail appears almost ruptured. Montreal-based Bombardier cannot comment on the potential cause of the incident until the investigation is complete. Uh, Bombardier delivered the Q400, which has registration Sierra 2 Alpha Gulf Quebec to, the, to an Egyptian carrier, uh, Smart, in 2011. Smart still owns the Q400, though B-Man has leased it since 2015. Uh, Q4, uh, the Q400 accumulated 6,500 hours of flight time, 9,300 cycles as of December 2018. 
I had to look up this airport. So this has single runway, 11,000 feet. And the Q400 is generally recognized as a short takeoff and landing aircraft. Mm. So yet more questions to be asked as to how you can run off the runway when it's 11,000 feet long, unless it was just uh, skidding off to the side or something. Yeah. I think it's going to be uh, a, a large factor of weather related uh, issues that possibly caused this event. I'm under. But that, uh, that aircraft isn't called the Crash 8 for nothing, is it? You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there, Nip. Uh, <laughs> you know, every time we talk about the Q400, there is not a lot of love for it in, in any of the chat. No. I think they're blooming noisy. So noisy. What 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 is it that we don't like about it? Do we do you think? I mean, why is it people don't like it? I mean, it's popular here in the hmm. UK. Undercarriage I mean, collapsing, for example, with SAS uh, got taken out of service at least twice. Um, <laughs> um, dispatch reliability not very nice aircraft, I don't think. But you know, I've only been on a couple, so I can't uh, I can't really write <laughs> too much on it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> No NP segments on them coming anytime soon. Uh, no. Right. <laughs> okay, good. Right, so the next story then is wow. horrendous. This is horrendous. This is on the APnews.com website. And the headline. I, I don't know if I want to put, put this the picture up. I know. I, I'm not sure I want to. The headline is Chef, as in someone who cooks. Mm -hmm. Stopped at Los Angeles Airport with 40 frozen piranhas. So, in Los Angeles, then, a famous South American chef says he was stopped as he brought 40 piranhas in a duffel bag through Los Angeles International Airport. Virgilio Martinez, chef owner of Central Restaurant in Peru, uh, told the Los Angeles Times on Wednesday that he hoped to serve the predatory sharp-toothed fish during an L.A. food festival. Martinez was featured in the third season of the Netflix show Chef's Table. He says customs agents pulled him into the interrogation room last week when they found the cache of frozen vacuum-sealed piranhas. After five hours, the agents let Martinez through the f with the fish and he used them that night on a salad. The newspaper says the following night he dried the piranha skins and served them inside the piranha's heads. My word. Okay. And, uh, yeah. It's, I mean, we, we hear of strange items being found within people's hand luggage or in suitcases, but I don't think I've heard of frozen piranhas being found in someone's Horrendous suitcase. is a word. Horrendous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, yeah. yes. Indeed. On to the next story. Can't buy off that story. Yeah, I'm, I'm moving on quickly, <laughs> pretending it never happened. Uh, Simplyflying.com simply is the website, and the headline is, Soon you won't be able to fly on the Airbus oh. A310. Uh, Air Transat is currently the last operator of the Airbus A310 in the Western world. However, this won't last for long, so there are a few remaining opportunities to experience this old plane. The Canadian airline will be phasing out the aircraft as it uh, takes deliveries of the new Airbus A321LR uh, through a deal with the leasing company Aircap. 
according to an article by the Boarding Area Network. The entire Air Transat A310 uh, fleet will retire sometime next year as more of their new planes enter service. Other operators of the A310 uh, passenger variant are airlines in Iran, uh, Mahan Air, Iran Air and Taban Ta Ta Air and Yemen. Uh, for most of our readers, uh, this means that Air Transat as a Canadian airline is the most feasible option with its current fleet of six. The A310 is still used as a military aircraft by armed forces all over the world including Egypt, Mongolia, Spain and Thailand. Uh, during the development of the A300 program airlines approached Airbus looking for a smaller aircraft. After extensive research the studies and Airbus announced the A300B10 later renamed the A310. The twin-engine, twin-aisle, wide-body A310 was manufactured in the late 1970s and 80s. Production officially ceased in 2007. The model in use by Air Transat is an A310-300, which seats 250 passengers in a two-class configuration. So a bit of, inf bit of information, a bit of history on the A310. So this uh, first flew on the 3rd of April 1982. That's a few years ago, mm. and uh, it was uh, number. There's 255 of these built in total, and it uh, was classed as a medium to long range twin aisle uh, jet aircraft, uh, manufactured by Airbus, as you know, and it um, was the obviously the A310, which is smaller, a derivative of the A300, as Matt said. Uh, the origin, the origin, uh, origin of the A310 lies within design studies originally conducted for the early A300 program, and there's also some variants of the A310, which are the MRTT, multi-role tanker transport. They made some versions of these for the military, not to be confused with the A330 MRTT. So it's been around a few years, 37 years old. So yeah, it's been around a few. I haven't actually, I don't think I've ever flown on a 310. Nev, have you been on a 310? I have, yes. Uh, did a lot, lot of flying on the A310 when I was flying uh, with Swissair uh, from London to Zurich mainly. And uh, very spacious aircraft uh, back in the day. This was in the sort of mid-1980s, about 86, something like that. Uh, perhaps they're cramming more people in these days, but uh, then in the economy section, it was really good, actually. Very nice, uh, very nice aircraft. A bit, bit like a 767 in terms of uh, size inside with a twin oil configuration. But uh, yeah, very nice indeed. Sorry, I don't mind the 76. It's the 75, isn't it? I don't mind. Hey, Nev, Pratt and Whitney <laughs> JT9Ds on uh, the 310s, Nev. Yep. Could be a bit noisy uh, mm. back in the day, but yeah. uh, obviously they've got hush kits and stuff like that on, I would mm. imagine. But uh, yes, quite a uh, quite a noisy event. But uh, mm. nonetheless, it was able to had quite a good range, I think, as well, and uh, uh, was great for um, the, the, the medium to longer haul operations as, as well as the short haul stuff. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame there. Shame they're going. Mm. But, uh, moving on to the next story which is uh, something that uh, hit the news this week. It's with something we covered a bit in the past, isn't it, Nev, about uh, this particular aircraft? Uh, yes. Well, I'm actually on the wrong story, so that's not very helpful at all, is it? So um, I was just about to talk about something entirely different, uh, like the uh, the Lonely Planet um, thing. Uh, but, um, which is what I've got as well. So oh, is it? Okay. Mm, I'm yeah, in, I'm okay. In the wrong order. That's okay. my fault. Oh, carry on, Nev. 
So what would you like me to do then? The, the Lonely Planet? Story yeah, go on. The, go with uh, The Lonely Planet uh, Shall I do the A380? No, def- definitely. I'll do the A380 one. Oh, okay. Then. How about that? I'll do that. I'll do that. <laughs> well, um, this is interesting because um, on uh, simpleflying.com, it says that the first uh, Airbus A380s are now being scrapped and the first two of them to enter service are being taken apart uh, at an airport in France, in Lourdes, in fact. And uh, the photo released this week shows uh, MSN 003 and MSN 005 with gaping holes and no engines as the salvage team worked to remove the valuable parts from the planes. Uh, the two very first uh, A380s to go into service are being taken apart. Uh, and they were manufacturer seal number three and five. They've been mothballed in, Fla- in France since their leases came to an end and are now being dismantled. These were previously operated by Singapore Airlines and they're well on their way to becoming nothing more than the sum of their parts, a new photo has revealed this week. If you're an avgeek and a lover of the biggest plane in the world, I have to warn you, this post contains graphic images. Um, and in fact, the very first A380 to enter service, um, MSN 003, was delivered to the launch customer Singapore Airlines on October the 15th, 2007, uh, entering into service on October the 25th. Same year, the aircraft flew between Singapore and Sydney, uh, Sydney uh, registered as 9 Victor Sierra Kilo Alpha. Uh, shortly after this, in January 2008, MSN 005 arrived with Singapore as well and was registered as 9 Victor Sierra Kilo Bravo. Uh, these were the very first A380s out of the factory, with the MSNs 1, 2 and 4 being Airbus test aircraft. Well, as we all know, the A380 didn't have the happy ending that everybody hoped for. Despite a lot of passenger and avgeek love for the aircraft, airlines just couldn't make it work. Airbus announced the scrappage of the project, and ironically on Valentine's Day this year, although they also have said that they'll continue to support it, as long as it flies. So upon completion of their leasing period, both MSN 003 and 005 were repainted in all white and flown to Lourdes in southern France to be stored. Despite the leasing company attempting to find new customers for the aircraft, nobody wanted the gentle giant and so they were earmarked for scrapping. Uh, so it's a big shame, isn't it? So um, I think the problem is with this aircraft, um, we've said it before, haven't we, that it was perhaps just just coming at the wrong time in the aviation yeah. you know um what's the word um you know the, the time that, that it was the right time for it to come and i think the problem is that uh, with aviation you just never know because of the time difference between designing an aircraft and actually launching it, it can see, be years obviously because weirdly if, the, if you go back say if, if, if it had been released say five years earlier um, I mean, this could be a very different story. There could be the same love for the A380 as there is for the 74. Do you know what I mean? It it could be yeah. that sort of that sort of thing, isn't it? As you, it's just the launch timing is just completely wrong, isn't it? Mm. In a time where yeah. people are concerned about the bottom lines more than ever, you know, cost of fuel in general is going through the roof uh, and stuff like that. You know, a beautiful aircraft is essentially being mothballed because it's just not economic anymore but when you think you know 12 years i think it is this has been since it um you know came into service mm-hmm. you think there's there's passenger aircraft in the skies now that are still flying yeah. carrying passengers that are double 
if not yeah. more mm. uh, older than than that, and they're still flying. No TriStar L Till Elevens, I noticed. Uh, there is still oh, one flying. What uh, with actual pass pay not with passengers? No, no it, it's yeah, used okay. for used for other purposes. But there is still right. one cargo, probably. And there was talk actually that the ones that are at Bruntingthorpe may be being shipped out to the US soon. But I think Jonathan Warner might know more about that. Okay. Yes. Watch so, this space. Watch yeah. this space. The uh, last story then, Armando, and uh, well, it's a boozy one. Uh, yeah. So it's. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I feel, I feel honored and slightly like a substitute teacher being able to, <laughs> you know, to read a British Airways story. But yeah. uh, it is from Lonely Planet, as we stated. Uh, it is revealed recently that some food and drink items taste different when you're on a plane. So it's timely that British Airways is now including a gin that has been specifically developed to be enjoyed at altitude on its in-flight menu. According to Professor Charles Spence, one of the world's leading flavor scientists, low air pressure and lack of humidity suppress our taste receptors and alter our sense of smell at 30,000 feet. Granted, I think the cabin's probably only at 6,000 feet, but um, our perception of sweet and salt are somewhat muted, whereas our ability to identify spices and bitter flavors are seemingly left unchanged. Surprisingly, our ears play a part in how we perceive taste also. Background noise, such as the hum of the engines, can render many people unable to detect salty or sugary flavors effectively. Really? So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll save my comments at the end. Okay. So, <laughs> Edinburgh-based uh, gin distillers Pickerings created a 10 botanical blend for British Airways. Various recipes were trialed at different altitudes. God, this was what I was going to comment. I would love to be in the trial group for this. Yeah, too, right? <laughs> yeah. And the gin was created where the tasting notes shift the higher you fly. Wow. Yes, please. Central to the flavor profile is the addition of lemon myrtle, which imparts natural sweetness alongside the citrus flavor. This adds a fresh taste without the bitter edge, balancing the sweet floral notes of heather and rose to deliver and an enhanced sweetness and depth of flavor. Oh, am I the only one that misses the days where you could just drink something and say, yes, really nice, where you haven't got to compare it to a bunch of flowers? <laughs> no, just me. Okay. Well, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I think the point of this article is that you are high, right? At high in the air. High in the air, yes, of course. Yes. yes. Yeah. yes. So... To banish so-called airplane taste blindness, we have carefully designed a botanical flavor profile that enhances what you lack when you're soaring in the sky, says Prickering's head distiller and co-founder, Matt Gamel. As a distiller, developing gin on the ground and then trialing it in the sky at different altitudes was a fascinating process. We trialed multiple iterations of the recipe in the air until we were confident that it would taste as good in the sky as it did on the ground. The airline is introducing limited edition food, which I think we talked about, drinks and gifts that customers can enjoy as part of its centenary year celebrations and will be available on all BA economy flights under four hours for the remainder of the year. Uh, passengers will also be able to buy the gin as a part of a limited edition triple miniature gift pack sold on board all long haul and non-EU flights through the British Airlines High Life Shop. Does anyone actually like... I, I can't stand gin myself. What? Oh, I love gin. I've, I've only just... Um, Mrs. Nev introduced me to gin uh, only a few months ago. 
and um, I must say, I've really got the taste for it. My only regret is I didn't try it years ago. Well, you see, now, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not Thank a big drinker, drinker, as everybody knows. <laughs> I'm not a big drinker. I may have accidentally stumbled across my own point there, but anyway, that's... that's no, uh, I'm not... I'm not really a big drinker, and and yet, and I'm, it was my mum who, uh, who ironically in, introduced me to Mother's Ruin, uh, and it, it is uh, uh, there's we're, there's a place called the Gin Palace here in Norwich, uh, and it's above a, a, a pub uh, in 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 Norwich, and it is uh, probably the first time I tried one of these multi blends sort of like you know with, where it was in a big glass with all the all the bells and whistles and stuff in it and that really did change my life when it came to things i mean i am very partial to a gin now it has to be said uh, carlos you need to you know I, there are so I many know. things if i had the opportunity to I, reset you i just can't get my start head again, around the know. smell i mean you know hating harry potter for a start <laughs> is, is unforgivable uh, your your zero tolerance love uh, anti anti-love for anything vaguely sport related uh you know i mean if i ever had the opportunity to press a reset button and make oh, you try again uh, you know I, it'd just be marvelous but uh no, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's just like oh i just uh, do you have a, p- a particularly favorite blend armando uh so before that i'm i'm just surprised because isn't nev you can correct me but uh isn't norwich and and or norfolk the center of english gin industry like I, I feel like there's the Norwich Gin Festival, which I tried to get to. Oh, there to. was it's, one, yeah. There was a big yeah, Norwich Gin I, Festival. I think you may have got wrapped up in some kind of uh, lying hype there, uh, oh, I suspect. I'm man, not aware of... London is very famous for gin. Uh, I'm not aware of no. I might. I, I, I'd be. Del- I tell you, if somebody is able to correct me, I would be delighted because if 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 we are uh, involved in that, because I say because I love gin. I, I know there has been a gin festival, but I think that was more. Uh, um, you know, so getting back to the aviation oh. topic. Here. Oh right! Oh sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> se- segue is aviation gin. I, I will say that aviation brand gin is an excellent gin. Gemma, and if you're an av geek, yeah, Gemma, do, do we believe all this? Not it's like it's like this beer that was brewed that's supposed to taste better in the air. I mean, how much do we believe about how it changes things like your taste buds and? And that kind of thing, and you know, and, and one of the things it's saying in that story there about the gin is the fact that even the background noise disrupts how you taste stuff. <laughs> I mean, is <sighs> Captain, shut the engines off. I want my gin to taste better. In, yeah, indeed. I mean, come on, Nev. Is there any you know actual science attached to this? Well, I'm sure uh, there is, but I've not uh, <laughs> dealt with it at all. I have no, to say, no. Go on, Nev, we can send Nev on assignment. Uh, <gasps> Professor Charles Spence is an experimental psychologist at the University of Oxford. Ah, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. That's not far away from you. You could give that a go. Yeah, just <laughs> down the road. I can see him. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Pop in. Yes. <clears throat> so that was the commercial news stories no, for this We've week. Got one more story but to go. Yes, yeah, so go on. We have been sent in uh, a very special story from mm. uh, one of our awesome listeners, Owen today yeah. and uh, matt you've got that story what's uh, regarding a, an airline that uh, one yeah, of your sli- favorites slightly different here so it's obviously it's a Ryanair story because that's why i'm reading it uh and it's flying in ireland is the website rather oddly this this story is uh uh Ryanair roll out live flight monitoring which uh, uh when i was 
chatting to Owen about this earlier. I just found a bit odd because surely that's what flight radar is all about. But anyway, it says uh, uh, Ryanair announced the deployment of Global Beacon, a live flight monitoring platform that combines FlightAware's data processing capabilities and web interface with global flight tracking coverage from Aeron. Uh, the Aeron network tracks aircraft via their ADSB uh, automatic dependent surveillance broadcast out antennas, which are mandated in many parts of the world, including throughout Europe. Uh, this enables most airlines and aircraft operators to take advantage of Global Beacon without requiring additional equipment. Uh, Aeron is partly owned by the Irish Aviation Authority. That's probably why Ryanair are involved, I'm guessing. All airlines operating in Europe are now required by EASA to track their aircraft at a frequency of one position every 15 minutes during normal operations. It is expected that by 2021 they will need to receive one position every minute if an aircraft is in distress. In the event of an incident, this will improve response efficiency by inherently confining the search and rescue radius to an area of just 11 kilometers. Uh, the new EASA requirements are based on the Global Aeronautical Distress and Safety System, the GADSS, which was created by a uh, is it ACO, A-C-A-O, uh, largely in response to the loss of flights AF-447 and MH370. Global Beacon far outperforms the current 15-minute requirements, enabling Ryanair to meet future expectations for flight tracking since it provides minute-by-minute -minute position updates at all times. So that could be interesting, actually. So, so this is obviously. So, is this a, a, like a potentially a, an industry-wide thing then, um, where, um, as I say, off the back of those those two disasters where the planes disappeared, the, 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 I, I assume it's not just Europe and things. I presume this is being rolled out across the world. Is it? Yeah, I'm just looking at the um, look at the website here, globalbeacon.aero, mm. and. Um, it's it's quite interesting read actually. It says mm. um, at least one per, uh, at least one position per minute under all operating conditions. Hundred percent global coverage from the Aerion network of space-based ADSB receivers. Uh, instant distress notifications as well. Um, yeah, I mean it's mm. uh, Flight Aware. There is uh, the Flight Aware website is actually quite quite an interesting website to look at. But I think everyone. Most people these days have either Flight Radar 24 or mm, Plane yeah, Finder indeed. on their phone. Yeah, the apps, tracking apps. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, just seems a bit odd that uh, Ryanair would be uh, sort of launching their own, if you see what I mean. But uh, well, it's handy to find out when they're going to be late. Oh, now it's <laughs> Yes, there we go. Well, actually, going back, going back to our previous story, uh, uh, you can always rely on our listeners to correct me wherever possible. Uh, Norwich is indeed relatively famous for one particular uh, gin, and that is the St Giles Gin, uh, makers of fine gin. So I need to go and find that. They do a very nice raspberry rhubarb and ginger-looking one. I think I think that mm. one might be one Mrs Nev would enjoy. Oh yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay, that that's my task for perhaps before Sunday. We'll mm. see how we get on. Uh, well, that's <laughs> this week's show title. <laughs> anyone it, for a gin? Anyone for a gin? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so like moving on then to uh, a fantastic part of the show. So we're going to hand things over to Armando to introduce. Thanks, Carlos. I. 
I really appreciate it because uh, I'm going to file the, just having the ability to do this interview um, as one of the advantages that have, that has uh, come out of being part of the PTUK and podcasting family. So just uh, yesterday, I got the chance to go down to Charlotte International Airport, where the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, otherwise known as NOAA, uh, was doing, they're doing a five-city tour just to raise awareness about the famous hurricane hunters. Um, so they had both aircraft out there, or they had a, a NOAA aircraft, as well as the U.S. Air Force Hurricane Hunter Unit, which we'll save that for a little bit later. Um, so this is the first of two interviews that I got. Um, the second interview will be a little bit shorter uh, with the Air Force guys. So this is uh, the NOAA uh, crew with their P-3 or, or WP-3D. Um, and uh, the, the weather was perfect for talking about hurricane hunting because there was tornado warnings in the area, as seems to be uh, frequent here in the Charlotte area this year. Uh, so the, the weather was terrible, and you, if you're watching the YouTube video, uh, you'll see that we conducted this interview underneath the wing of the P3. <laughs> um, and, and then additionally, there's a little bit of background noise, so if you're listening to the audio version, uh, you'll, you'll notice some pauses in there and some sort of hard cuts where uh, we were probably only 400 feet from the departure runway for Charlotte International Airport. So we, we sort of had to bring the conversation to a halt uh, every two minutes or something like that to uh, let an airplane um, tuck in its thrust reverser. So um, great interview, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys, I'm here with uh, Nate Kahn, who is a commander in the NOAA Corps, and he is a pilot? I'm a pilot. I'm the aircraft commander. Aircraft commander for this beautiful WP-3D, which you're going to have to Google. All right, Nate, first of all, thanks for doing this. Sure. All right, so the, tell us a little bit about the, the NOAA Corps and the airplane and okay. why it is that you guys are on. So I'm going to let this guy take off yeah. real quick. By the way, we are on the grounds of Charlotte Douglas International Airport. So okay. there we go. So the, uh, the NOAA Corps is one of the seven uniformed services of the United States. It's the smallest of the uniformed services. So most people tend to think that we are officers that are on loan from the Navy or from other services to come do this mission. That's actually not true. We, I, when I left the Navy, I departed the Navy, and I am now active duty with the NOAA Corps. It's about 300 officers, and they operate NOAA's fleet of ships and aircraft. Okay. So my story is I started at the Naval Academy, graduated in 2003, went to flight school, chose P3s. I flew P3s with the Navy for 12 years, and then this opportunity came up, and I elected to transfer to the NOAA Corps um, and continue my service career and continue flying P3s, but now people don't shoot at me. Yeah. I, I fly into hurricanes, but nobody shoots at me, so that's good. So that's very unique, as we're always talking about different flying jobs. I, I feel like every month we find a, we discover a new job in aviation, and this okay. is pretty cool. How'd, so, so my path is, is not necessarily unique for us, um, but there's a different path within the NOAA Corps. Um, and we actually take college graduates as ensigns they commission and come right into the NOAA Corps as the start of their career. So when that happens, if they come to aviation with us, we send them through a flight school via FSI. FSI is our, our um, okay. preferred vendor. So we send them to flight safety they, um, down in Vero Beach, Florida. They learn their basic uh, commercial license. In, uh, I think it's a commercial instrument multi-engine is what they come to us okay. with. Um, and that if, if they have background, great, it's less time. If they don't, they'll go zero to hero um, on that syllabus. And then they come fly our aircraft. And naturally, we don't send somebody who has 
250 hours total into this airplane into right. a storm. Um, they start off flying our fleet of twin otters. We have four twin otters okay. that uh, NOAA's other agencies use for similar style of mission. It's an airborne data collection mm -hmm. platform. Um, they use them for marine mammal surveys. They use them for some air chemistry missions, coastal mapping, stuff like that, uh -huh. um, where they fly a little slower, um, and they get to spend a lot of time building multi-engine turbine time. And then they can fleet up into some of our other aircraft. We also fly uh, a King Air. We have a high-altitude jet that does other surveillance work. So it's not something that you have to go be a 15-year veteran right. to get a job over here. Like We take guys right out of school. We train them all the way up. Um, so there is an opportunity for folks that are looking for employment with the NOAA Corps to come that route. That's amazing. This is a, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've never... Yeah, we're, we're real small. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's easy to miss us if you're not paying attention. Yeah. But once you see us and know what you're looking at, you'll, you'll find as you turn around at every airport, you'll see our colors and go, Oh, <laughs> I, I thought that King Air was flying for wheels up because yeah. we're very similar paint schemes. But in truth, it's one of our aircraft yeah. that is out doing work. Well, so you start talking a little bit about the different missions. So specifically about the P-3 and its mission. Okay. So the, the mission that our P-3 is most well-known for is hurricane hunting. Mm -hmm. um, this aircraft, we take it right into the heart of the storm. Um, when you hear about guys flying into eyewalls to get data um, and do crazy stuff like that, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so we do that. Basically, we, uh, it's kind of a two-fold mission. Um, we fly into hurricanes so that we can gather data on that specific storm to input to the forecasting models for that storm. Uh, so that we can make the forecast better and more accurate based on real-time data. Now, we also carry sensors and conduct experiments for the hurricane research. Uh, so those experiments are designed to improve the models as a whole. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we go out, that data is used. For example, if you look at the data for the forecast of tracks over the last 10 years, yeah. there's a significant improvement in the three- to five-day forecasting windows. It used to be that we were pretty good out to about three days, which isn't really enough time to evacuate Miami. Um, five days is enough time to evacuate Miami effectively, right? So we're working on getting out to seven days being a very accurate forecast. Um, so that's kind of a, that's a long-term goal for the hurricane research guys. Um, but we're not really good at intensity forecasting. We've, we're kind of all over the board as far as that goes as an agency. So we're trying to get better. And we carry a lot of equipment that is designed to help improve that. And we started to see some improvements based on the tail Doppler radar that we carry. Okay. So our job is twofold to kind of sum up is one is to improve current forecasts based on the active models and also to improve those models for future years and storms. And is that is that pretty near real-time data? Are you guys beaming data back to a center? Yeah, so some of the data comes up. We have we have broad, satellite broadband on the airplane. Mm -hmm. um, some of our data comes off real-time to the forecasters. Some of our data is downloaded post-flight and inputted. Mm -hmm. Our mission times are based on getting our data into a model run right before it happens. So the models aren't continuously updated, okay. basically. The guys at the forecast center input data, they look at stuff, and then they push a button. I think it's a button. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but they, they say go, and then the model runs and generates a new solution. And our, what we do is we time our missions so that the data we collect is inputted into the system before that next model run happens. That's the idea. So, when so we're, we're not a real-time forecasting platform. That's not what we do. Okay. And that's a great that's a great segue. So your mission, what does your mission planning look like? Is there, um, are, so is the aircraft commander sort of in charge? Who do you work with to figure so, out where you're going to fly? So typically we get sent, um, well the one I look at is a graphical depiction and it's usually based on a map. And the Hurricane Research Center, or sorry, the Research Division or the National Hurricane Center will, uh, will send that to us ahead of time. Uh, 
and then we'll take that map of what they basically it's usually a rough picture of where the storm is yeah. what the geography looks like around it you know islands and things like that and they'll say we want you to fly this pattern in and around the storm uh, depending on what the mission goals are for the science for that day and we'll look at it and go okay we can do that most of the time because they know we've been working together for so many years that they, they know what we can do mm-hmm. so they'll send us that and then we'll sit down in a brief and talk about it and we'll get an updated center position because all of our all of our work is based on the center the actual center of the storm so we'll get an updated center position from the aircraft that was on station before or we'll swag it if we're the first ones going in we'll look at it on the map um, on the satellite picture and say yeah that's what we're going to do and then it's a we pick a track in alignment with what the, the science the researchers want for quadrants of the storm and we'll go inbound on that track and sometimes we're spot on and sometimes we're not but as long as we get into the eye of the storm yeah. then we will find the new center point um, which is based on a zero wind wow. component so when you go into the storm the eye wall is where the heaviest winds are but even inside, there are still small um, strength winds swirling around inside. We fly to the exact zero wind point. And it's, it amazes me how the meteorologist can tell me what heading to fly or track to fly to get to a zero wind point. And I'm looking at the wind gauge that we have up in the front, and it hits zero almost every time. That's I mean, I would think that, you know, two, three knots is pretty impressive as far as that goes. Our guys hit zero almost every pass. From a, from a piloting standpoint, what is that like flying through the the eye of a hurricane into the so through the wall into the eye uh flying into the 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 eye wall eye walls are bad um bottom line for aviators literally everything we do on this mission is completely counter (laughs) to what every pilot is ever trained to do like we fly away like pilots are supposed to fly away from this mess and we fly into it um what we don't we don't do that arbitrarily or randomly either so like all this mess we've got going on around charlotte today I would not want to get up in the air and just fly into storms for, for grins, right? right. Um, so we're very deliberate about where we pick to go in, and we do that on purpose, and there's a lot of background we don't have to get into mm-hmm. about that. But um, as far as what it's like to fly, if you think about it, um, your fundamentals of IFR is you maintain altitude, airspeed, and heading, right, all the time. Well, how do you, how do, you do that in a hurricane? <laughs> you, the answer is you don't. Yeah. Um, so there are, there are really two priorities that we do our very best to maintain. Uh, because they are the ones that are most important to us. And the first is attitude. We keep the wings level or as level as possible, and we limit ourselves to, if we have to turn to change a track or adjust where the aircraft is going, we limit ourselves to five degrees angle of bank or less when we're in severe weather. So if you think about it, if you've ever tried to, d- to turn for 90 degrees at yeah. five degrees angle of bank, that's a long time. So it's really important for us to make sure that our track alignment is good when we start. I can't even imagine that. And and on top of that, you're, you're going to have a hundred and... 30, 140 mile per hour winds pushing you one yep. way or another. So, right? so typically, and that's why we fly a track, not a heading. Yeah. Um, so we're flying a track and you're looking at a anywhere from a 30 to 45 degree crab angle is pretty common. That's amazing. So um, we maintain track. That's that's very, yeah. attitude and track are the two things that we do our very best to stick when we're coming in. Um, but we don't chase altitude. Yeah. Like we normally do a, a penetration at 10,000 or 8,000 feet, sometimes 7,000 radar, depending mm-hmm. on what what okay, we're doing so normally it's barrow like normally we stay with a pressure altitude because we can set it set it and uh the other aircraft that might be in the storm can set that and regardless of what the storm does then we know we've still got separation okay um, but sometimes our science requires radar altitudes um that's neither here nor there yeah. we still don't stick an altitude um if the storm pushes us down we let it push us down if it pushes us up we let it push us up and we'll make gradual corrections yeah. 
um, when we're in control fully of the airplane to make those adjustments. Because seriously, it, in moments when the storm decides it's going to toss us, we, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been in situations where we caught an updraft and I, I was pushing down um, because the airplane is getting slow as, as the wind is yeah. shifting. And we've got max power set. We're still getting slow. So I'm pushing the nose down to try to regain airspeed. Airspeed's another one that we do really, we try to chase a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to regain airspeed. And I've got the yoke pushed down, and I can feel that the elevator isn't catching. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it, there's no air catching in it yet. So the tendency is to want to continue pushing until it catches, and that's a, that's a bad place yeah. to be. So you kind of set something there, and you let the airplane fight, and eventually it catches and starts to move. And then you've got to recover from that and kind of balance the plane. Wow. So we, we don't chase altitudes. We'll, once we're good and flying on our own again, we'll make a little correction and coordinate the power reduction and all that stuff. But uh, we don't chase altitude. Um, we set 210 knots as our target airspeed for penetrations. That gives us a, a significant buffer between stall on this aircraft, which in our normal, our normal flight configuration is probably down in the 150, 140 ballpark. Mm -hmm. And then overstress, which is if we get up over 300 knots we, and, and then we get a G-load, we could really break the plane. Right. So a 210 is our target, and we start making adjustments um, in either the, the power setting or the controls if we exceed 220 or we go below 200. So those are call-outs for the guys in the flight station mm -hmm. for how, how we're flying the plane kind of as a crew. Uh, CRM is, is one of our, our biggest our biggest things yeah, for the people actively flying the airplane. So you guys still have an engineer, and your engineer is yep. controlling power generally. Yeah, right? we, we hand over, hand over um, power control to the engineer when we're in a storm um, because basically the guy in the left seat is wrestling an alligator, like with the airplane. <laughs> um, the guy in the right seat is, talking, is doing all of the talking yeah. as far as coordinating that stuff, and he's cross-checking. Effectively, when you're that guy flying, your instrument scan becomes about this big, yeah. and it goes between three places, just back and forth, and that's your entire world. It's like when you start flying IFR for the first time, yeah. and you're like you can't your scan is so Hyper tiny focus, that it's just like yeah. boom, 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 and that's it. Well, we go back to that. Um, so the guy flying the plane is, is two-handed on the yoke, and he's, he's wrestling with that alligator. Oh. The guy in the right seat is is doing everything else that you have to do in flight. Thankfully, we don't have a lot of radio calls to make while mm -hmm. we're in the middle of a hurricane. Generally, nobody else yeah, flying in there. There ain't a whole lot of folks out there <laughs> that want to talk to us. Um, and then the, the, the engineer is actually watching a speed tape in front of him and looking at trends in the speed based on the airflow. Yeah. And what, and what he'll do is, as he sees speed start to taper up, he'll pull the power back and try to keep us there himself. So, as you can imagine, if you're flying an airplane and you're trying to maintain an altitude and an airspeed and an attitude by yourself and somebody keeps moving, with, messing with your power levers, it gets kind of weird. Yeah. Um, so in our case, we're, we're typically focused on maintaining an attitude and we let him adjust the power for the speed until he either reaches our max power setting or the flight idle, oh. at which point he'll say that and we'll adjust the attitude to try to adjust the speed. So you brought up crew resource management and, uh, as we were walking through uh, it seemed like a pretty big crew so what it or a, at least a lot of stations back there so what is the crew complement of this so uh, the flight station is two pilots and a flight engineer and when we go out on a mission we carry three pilots and two flight engineers okay. and we do it's up to a nine-hour mission so we rotate for for crew safety and fatigue yeah. reasons behind them there's an in-flight meteorologist who is like my right hand and then there is a navigator who's like my, uh, like the, the flight engineer, the, sorry, the flight meteorologist, it's his right hand. Mm -hmm. So if the flight meteorologist is working only in the, in the weather system, the navigator is keeping, keeping an eye on where that weather system yeah. is in the real world. 
because while we would love to be going to Cuba more frequently, <laughs> they still don't like it if we show up unannounced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a P3. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And a P3 that looks a lot like an EP3. Right. Um, so anyway, the uh, so behind them, we've got probably five or six different stations where radar operators or okay. scientific researchers can sit. And the complement of that is anywhere from three to seven, depending on what we're doing. Uh, get a little further back, there's our data system operator. He runs all basically all the networking. Like, mm-hmm. this is one giant networked laboratory uh, that flies. So he's got quite a challenging job to manage all of that stuff. And then come a little further back, there are two more science stations and then a station for an observer uh, to sit back in the windows. Okay. So normally our crew complement is about 13, but um, we typically carry up to 17 or 20, depending on how many wow. seats we have installed and the interest from like media and congressional reps and, and folks like that. And you'll take them up in a storm? We will, yeah. Oh, wow. We take media all the time um, because part of, part, I mean, we're a government agency, we're very small. Yeah. Part of what we do is awareness, you know? Yeah. So if you want to come see this, if like people can see us talking about this on the airplane, then it gets our message out. It kind of makes people yeah. aware of what we're doing. And with the congressional reps, well, they cut our checks, money, right? you know, so they yeah. give us the money to do these things. And if they want to know what's go, what that money goes toward, we're more than happy to show yeah. them because we need to upkeep the aircraft. We need new replacement Absolutely, aircraft. Yeah. We need all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And these P3s are probably getting a little long in the tooth now. Uh, too, this right? particular girl was born in 75. She is 44. That's pretty young, actually. Yeah. And uh, I mean, for an airplane. Yeah. And uh, we just put new wings on her uh, two years ago. Yeah. So we're expecting her to stay in service until give or take 2030, 2035, somewhere in that is ballpark. There, is there a different maintenance program? I mean, you're flying, you're putting the aircraft through some pretty stressful mm-hmm. situations. Is there sort of an, an upgraded maintenance or a more not, narrow Not purpose? really. Um, our maintenance our maintenance cycles are based on exactly what NAVAIR put out for the Navy's mm-hmm. P3s. Uh, we took their, basically we took their pubs and said, okay, this is a good program, we'll <laughs> use this. Um, because we got the same stuff from Lockheed yeah. when we got these airplanes. Um, we do inspect a little more frequently yeah. as far as um, some, some parts and components and for robustness. But interestingly enough, um, our flying is less stressful than the way the Navy normally flies their airplanes. Really? Because the stress in a storm is all in flight, and we, we keep our G loads fairly limited, mm-hmm. like over three and a half, and we abort for an inspection. Yeah. So it's not like we're going out pulling five or six G on the airplane and, and pushing a lot of negative yeah. and torquing it around very much. Um, but. We, we all the counter to that is that we don't do a lot of cycles mm-hmm. like I don't this plane doesn't do 200 touch and goes a year right it it maybe does 75 or 80 yeah. and what's really stressful on airplanes actually is the transition from ground to air and, and vice versa the cycles so this airplane has a lot of hours and it's been through a lot of crazy hours but it actually <laughs> has a very low cycle number which the research research indicates cycles are what actually damage yeah. the airplanes like those Southwest planes, the 737s mm-hmm. that were coming apart in flight, and they were like, this, this airplane's young, we don't know why it's doing it. Well, Southwest, those airplanes make three to five hops a day yeah. with, with at full weights and transits and stuff, so there's a reason that they're they're breaking down. It's usually a cycle count and not a, yeah. not not like a, a life fatigue for what we're doing with the plane. That's amazing. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So let me ask you this, what's your, what's your most memorable flight that you've had? So I, I have two, or three I'll give you. Um, the first one uh, was my first storm and it was tr- uh, Hurricane Danny uh, in 2015. And we were flying out of Barbados and we got in the storm and it was, at that point in time, it was a category one hurricane. Um, 
I look back on it and I think, yeah, that wasn't really that big. Of, that that storm wasn't that big a deal. But it was my first one, yeah. so I was freaking out, man. <laughs> and uh, and we went into it, and we were at twelve thousand feet when we went in, uh, which was is a little higher than normal. But we did it because we weren't sure what was going on, and we were like, okay, we'll check it out. Freezing level was up at fifteen or sixteen thousand feet, which is kind of key for we want to be below that uh, to avoid icing and lightning sure. and grapple stuff like that. So we went in at twelve, and we hit grapple, and and I was like, oh. That's weird and loud and awful, and I don't know what's happening, but I'm flying the airplane. But my buddy Scott over here, who was the aircraft commander, but he says I'm doing fine, and he's we, uh, we have noise-canceling headsets and box. So as the co-pilot, you're usually kind of whispering sweet nothings into the other pilot's ears <laughs> to, tell, to tell him that it's okay and that he's doing fine, yeah. right? especially when you've got a new guy. So he's, he's talking, talking to me, keeping me calm and steady, and we go in. And we break out into the eye wall, and he was like, what? And he calls our meteorologist and says, hey, Jack, was that grapple? And Jack was like, oh, yeah, that was grapple, which is really bad for the airplane. Yeah. It's it's like really wet hail. Um, he's like, okay, what do you want to do? He's like, we need to go down 2,000 feet. And he turns to me and says, Nate, take us down to 10. Well, okay. So I descend <laughs> to 10,000 feet so in, the eye, in the eye of a hurricane. Like, huh? Meanwhile, Jack is also calling uh, heading changes, or track changes, so that we can hunt the center. Yeah. So... I've got the power at idle, I'm dropping it like it's hot, and I'm cranking around between 30-degree angle bank turns. Those turns can be like 45 degrees either side for yeah. track changes as he's trying to set it steady out where the wind is. And I'm like, oh, this is this is kind of challenging. Okay, whatever, no big deal. And we get down to 10,000, everything's fine. We go back out. Um, I did two more penetrations of the storm, no big deal. What was memorable is I came back in later, and Scott and I were having a beer after the flight, and he's like, uh, yeah, I am... Um, I've never had to do a descent in the eye like that. That was that was kind of crazy. And I was like, dude, that was my first first yeah. trip through the storm. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you got a gold star. You had yeah, to like a camp, like, right? This is my first one. I don't know yeah. what I'm doing. Um, so that one was memorable. Uh, the second was a pass through um, Matthew in 2016. And we came through the storm, and the radar was a mess. Like this huge, nasty red. Like, if, if this is my radar scope quarter of it was this red nasty blob and this was all eyewall mm. and we, our track was just a little off like we mistimed it a bit and we got a little too close to that mess and uh, as we came into the eyewall we got hammered and we were down 2,000 feet we were up 1,500 feet um, at one point in time we were in an updraft and and like I was talking about speed bleeding off but that was a situation where I was laying on the elevator in the plane and wouldn't catch um, and that happened multiple times in that two to three minutes of the eyewall penetration. Um, and it was it was gross. Uh, the G-spike was only about uh, 2.9, um, so it wasn't an abort thing. But we came into that eye. And normally, when we're, like I talked about CRM, normally we are chatty. Like, everybody's talking all the time. We broke out, and as soon as you, once you break out into the eye, the, it's like the lights come on a little bit. Like, as it gets bright again. And everybody knows you're through because the plane steadies out and, and it gets bright. So that moment happened, and it was dead silent on our ICS for about ten seconds. And and all you and um, the pilots that are up front on Vox, like you, we could hear each other breathing, but that was mm. it. And then about ten seconds in, it, um, my buddy Chris was with me at that point. And he said, "You guys okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, all right, let's go." And it was it was just one of those moments <laughs> where like, okay, we're all still alive, we're all still good, let's get back to work. And we hunted center, and ironically. The other side of the eye wall was open, so we got a little bumpy with some wind shear. Because even when even when an, uh, a storm's eye wall is not closed with clouds, there is still a wind field there. Okay. So you can go through clear air, but it's still very windy. Yeah. Um, so we cruised out and took care of that one. That was the worst penetration of our of our season oh. that year, 
And by the way, you can find a video of that on Facebook. If you go to the Noah Hurricane Hunters Facebook page. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's labeled as like Matthew 2016 or something like that. And, and at the very start of the video, you can see somebody in the left seat, like a green flight glove flying the plane. That's my hand. That's your hand, that's your hand, hand model. Yeah, that's yeah. my hand. In a glove. No yeah. big deal. Um, and then the third one that I'll tell you, because uh, I don't know what your, what your timeline looks like. Oh, we're good. Yeah. The third one is last year in Michael, uh, I was not flying. Um, I, I was the co-pilot to another senior aircraft commander. And I had done my rotation, my couple of penetrations, I was done. I hopped out. I was in the back taking a nap because we have a rack in the back of the mm -hmm. airplane here for rest purposes. Yeah, and it's absolutely. got a seatbelt on it, you know, so you're not going to get thrown around too much. Too much. Um, and they were going in for the last pass of the storm. And literally, we took a, a really heavy negative G. Or it wasn't negative, but it was probably like a 0.25, enough to get you a little floaty. Yeah. So we're coming down. We're, we're a little floaty. And I'm in the rack, and I was asleep. So I didn't brace myself at all when this started to happen. And I came floating up a little bit on my toward my head, and my knees floated up a bit. And then when the G loaded back up on the airplane and it came back down, it folded me over my seatbelt, and I cracked my head on the ceiling. Oh, no. I actually had to look at the the other flight engineer was sleeping down in the other rack, and I looked at him, and I was like, hey, man, am I bleeding? Uh, and he's like, no. I was like, okay, pretty sure I don't have a concussion, but I'll get checked out when I get oof, home. Oof. Um, so those are my, my top three yeah. moments. Um, in terms of what the worst storms I've flown into, uh, laying out in the Central Pacific last year, that that was the storm to beat all storms as far wow. as I'm concerned. Because if we had a Cat 7, it would have been a Cat 7. Like, we, we stopped counting at 5, but, but storms get bigger than that. Yeah. That's amazing. I, so, amazing. What an amazing mission. I You know, I've never been... I, I knew the Hurricane Hunters. It's very cool. So, you kind of mentioned the Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Um Obviously, I can I can imagine people can go to NOAA, find some information. Or yeah, so there's Google. if you if you Google NOAA, um, for example, if you were looking for the Commissioned Officer Corps, mm -hmm. if you Google NOAA Commissioned Officer Corps, it will get you to okay. our a, a web page for that. Um, if you go to just NOAA's homepage, there's a, a link system that will eventually yeah. filter you down there. Um, our official the official website doesn't have as much of our media stuff because everybody on the airplane is taking videos with their sure, like, sure. seriously Apple could probably do a hurricane hunter <laughs> iPhone, like shot on iPhone commercial uh, because 90% of our 90% of our stuff is shot from folks phones yeah. you know, sitting in windows um, but yeah most of that just gets um, through our PAO okay. our public affairs guy goes right to right to Facebook maybe to Twitter I don't know I'm not a Twitter guy yeah. I, I don't get it but, uh, but we'll call it, so it's on social media somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely on social media yeah. somewhere. Um, and I know our Facebook page um, has all of those videos available. So yeah. if you go to the, Hur the NOAA Hurricane Hunters Facebook page, you can find all of that stuff. Okay. And we always end with one question. As a pilot, if, you could, if money was no object, if you could fly any airplane in the world, past or present, what would it be? <sighs> can I have a counter question? Sure. Are we talking about like one flight just for grins or do I get to fly this thing a lot? Uh, one flight. Um, I am a child of the 80s, the F-14D. Nice. That's yeah. going to go over well with the listeners. Top, Top Gun got me into the Navy. <laughs> Top Gun kept me in the Navy even though I flew P-3s. That's awesome. And I have been known to quote that movie at least once a day. I know it's not real. I get it. But I love it anyway. I would expect no less from you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much You're for taking the time. Yep. Great. Oh, what a fantastic That interview. was awesome, yeah, Armando. Yeah, Massive well done. Yeah. Round of applause, guys. Round of applause. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is...
seriously great uh great interview uh, just a, a million thank yous to uh, nate who was an excellent ambassador for noaa and i was just looking up there if you just go to the office of marine and aviation operations at the noaa website you'll see some of their missions obviously the hurricane hunting gets the the uh the biggest sort of uh starring role but they also do uh, mammal population studies shoreline assessments water resource snow surveys air chemistry remote sensing emergency response and uh and mapping with a fleet of gulf streams twin otters and p3s so he was a excellent um i, I really enjoyed my time speaking with nate and and yeah. They also gave us a tour through the through the aircraft. Very cool. And what a location to do the interview underneath the um, the wing. Yeah, and and you could see the <laughs> the airliners landing right behind us. I mean, we were we were just hundred hundreds, just a couple hundred feet from the runway there at Charlotte. So uh, very very cool. And then the next week we'll see the uh, WC-130J, mm. which are the Air Force Reserve Hurricane Hunters out of uh, Keesler Air Force Base. Fantastic. Really am looking forward to that. Right, uh, ladies and gents, it is, I'm afraid, time to start wrapping up. Now, some of, some of the more eagle-eared eagle listeners will know, Nev, that there is a very special event uh, that is taking place in a couple of days' time, being the uh, 12th of May. What's going on, Nev? Well, we're off to Duxford, and we've been looking forward okay. to this oh, for is that it? some <laughs> time. <laughs> And yeah, we've got uh, a lot of people coming along. Some people are flying in, some yeah. people are driving in, some people are coming by horse and cart. And um, yeah, it's going to be great. And the weather is looking very it reasonable is. indeed. It's almost looking like say. summer. Yes. <laughs> so the PTUK team will be there from about 10 o'clock onwards. And I think the idea is that we're going to try and meet up with folks around about 11, something like that, when they can arrive. And um, we've got some... Uh, bulk booking uh, group booking for the tickets uh which is uh, pips organized and yep. also families are welcome very too. much so yeah so, absolutely uh, yeah. that'll be good and uh, as you'd expect i should be bringing uh, this item Ooh. with me uh the famous muff, Ned's muff. Uh, and uh, and the camera as well Yay. so we'll be doing lots of interviews Ooh and general stuff so uh, looking forward to doing that and um yeah so uh looking forward to seeing everybody there we've checked out the food the menu looks good as well and various uh, catering yes things. that obviously was sent to us by captain al i expect nothing less yes. frankly yeah indeed absolutely he's already decided which of the many venues that are available at duxford we're going to be eating mm. our dinner at oh yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Can't wait, actually. It's, it's going to be a great uh, crowd by, by all accounts there. Uh, it's not too late. If you are listening to this and it isn't past uh, the 12th, uh, you are more than welcome to join us. So yes. uh, you need to find yourself, uh, you need to get yourself to the Imperial War Museum at Duxford. That's just outside Cambridge, uh, just off the M11 uh, on the outskirts of London. So uh, if you'd like to come, as I say, uh, we're aiming to... Uh, Enter the museum at 11 a.m. using a group booking ticket. Uh, you can still come after that. Obviously, do feel free, but uh, basically we can only do the, the group booking thing once. We all have to yeah. arrive yeah. at once. Uh, one thing I would request, please, if you are wanting to take advantage of said uh, uh, group booking, could you please bring cash 
with you yes. in order to be able to do that. Uh, otherwise, it's going to get very complicated if we've got to do it on a on a card. Yes, so, uh, yeah, if so. you could uh, uh, do that, it would be eter- we would be eternally grateful. It is, uh, yeah, Sunday, the uh, 12th of May. And, uh, yeah, we're going to sort of enter the museum at 11. But as I say, myself, certainly myself and Nev will be there from... Um, uh, 10 a.m. There'll be a, a few other people who'll be milling around there, so we can have a bit of a, a chat and a meet up before we enter uh, the venue itself. But uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing lots of very familiar faces and hopefully some new ones as well. Yes, and I will be bringing with me a uh, a little bag with some P2K t-shirts, a little selection of t-shirts. So if anyone wants to grab a t-shirt, they will be available to purchase at a bargain price, aren't they, yeah. Matt? Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, uh, 15 quid, I think we said, didn't we? If yes. you say so, yes. yes 15 quid. <laughs> Cheap as chips. Anyway. And, uh, yes. yes, so don't forget to contact the show via the website, www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can click on the Contact Us tab if you want to send us a message. Send us some voice or video feedback mm. as well. Matt can deal with that. He can run it through In the system format, really. and make yep. it look marvellous. And uh, we can play that on the show. And hopefully you can send some of that to us, guys and girls. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, that is... Uh, um, currently one of my favourite things in the Duxford chat that's going oh. on at the moment here is actually uh, from a chat by the name of Stuart that says, uh, by the way, FYI, I'm Carl's boss and I got a government <laughs> grant to employ him as he was such a danger in the community. This is the kind of calibre <laughs> of meetup that you're going to be looking forward to at Duxford. So there we go, it's all part of the fun. Uh, oh, thanks to Stuart, my boss. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, Armando, <laughs> we're going to miss you terribly, actually, because this is your yeah. spiritual home in lots of ways, isn't it? So it's... It's going to be uh, sad not to have you with us, buddy. Yeah, certainly. I, I wish I could be there for the for the meetup, and I'll uh, do my best to dial in via Skype or FaceTime or something like that. Yeah. But uh, Sunday is Mother's Day here in the United States, so... Oh, you have uh, a reasonable we, excuse then. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, we can't leave without saying Happy Mother's Day to, uh, to all those here in the U.S. Good and around point. the world. Yeah, absolutely, and lots of very, very... Very, very lovely mums uh, there are in the States too. So I was going to say a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. There's been quite a hefty discussion in the chat room, I will say, this evening. A lot of it revolving around food and drink. Of course. Um, As always. Uh, So thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room. And also don't forget a big thanks as well to everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast each week via the usual prize. Yeah, we're we're wrapping up. Carlos, what are you up to next week? Monday, I'm driving across the country up towards, I think it's Captain Al kind of territory. Welsh Wales? Well, 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 near (laughs) enough. That's a bit scary. Yeah, it's um, a four-hour drive from here, so I shall be Driving the lorry across uh, across the country Monday. Oh dear. Nev, have you got anywhere exotic in your uh, calendar for this week? Hmm, don't think so. A bit of London activity uh, later on in the week. But uh, just to let you know that I had a very nice chat with Captain John Hutchinson. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes. Concord Ooh. on Monday of this week. And we're going to sort out a time and date for a, an interview and a proper, very proper much looking forward uh, piece to that. for the show. So uh, stay tuned for that. Very much so, yes, can't wait. Armando, where are you going? Anywhere anywhere nice this week? No, not a whole lot going on. Um, I think. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm already bored talking to you, and we haven't <laughs> spoken to her yet. Uh, what, is Megan doing anything exciting next week? <laughs> well, it's Mother's Day. Oh, of course. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, I just. Uh, I, any, I, any flying plan for next week, uh, Armando? 
No, I, I've enjoyed my 60 days off since I left the UK and it's uh, probably about time to start buckling down and start studying for the flight instructor certificate, which is a goal for this summer. So. Yeah, uh, fantastic. Awesome. Look at that. This is what we like to hear. Big goals, big goals. Man, yeah. what are you doing next week? Me? Uh, well, I've got a very quiet week, actually. I'm mainly in the in the yard this week. Bit of school run activity, obviously, morning and afternoon. Uh, but uh, that, a lot of that is because I've got Friday off. You've got Friday off? I have. I've got Friday off. Why? Because a very, very dear friend of mine, the lovely Kate Lavender, is marrying the legend that is Big James Mulhern. They're getting married on Friday, and I'm going to their wedding. So, so, what in the what the in the next Friday? Yes, that's it. Next Friday. Yes, absolutely. And so, when the and the standing in the studio. Thing. Well, you can do it without me, by all means. Feel free. Uh, <laughs> okay, so next week's show will be uh, a. Sunday probably because I've got show. to take somebody. I've got to take somebody to the airport on Saturday. So <laughs> uh, let's have a look at the diary here. Yes. Okay. Anyway, well, that's look. a conversation for after the show. Yes. We'll publish when we're yes. doing that. But yes, so I will be missing next week if it goes if it, if oh it if we go with a Friday. Uh, but it's all right. Other people can control it without me. It'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be all right. Yeah, Don't panic. it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, yes, that's it. That's it. That's where we. That is the show to a close. where we bring episode number two hundred and sixty-eight to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Better at wrapping up faster. This Take care, everyone. <laughs> Whatever you're doing this weekend, have a safe and happy weekend. And uh, yeah, enjoy yourselves and hope to see everyone on Sunday. Yes, at absolutely. Duxford. Make it if you can. It's going to be an amazing time. That's it, guys. Take care, everyone. Take care, we'll see everyone. everyone next week. Bye bye. <laughs>